collective power. We are out to transform trauma system-wide by presenting a mirror of the system to itself. Each month, we focus on one system, and each episode, we focus on one person's experience and their angle. At the end of each month, we bring all those angles together to reveal a new big picture. Stay with us to discover our collective power and what's possible for our city, for our country, and our world. I am Dr. Rita Fierro, and I am your host. everyone, and I'm especially excited to welcome uh, Yvonne Devaste this morning. Good morning, Yvonne. Good morning, Rita. Yvonne uh, is a person who's extremely dear to my heart, who has uh, taught me a lot and seen me uh, through some messy moments. And her and her cats, actually. Shout out to the cats. <laughs> <laughs> so Yvonne Devaste has... Uh, I'm just going to do a, like a little bio for you, Yvonne, and then let you speak for yourself, which will definitely uh, give the viewers an, a view of how, um, how you bring complexity and depth to the concept of healing. Mm-hmm. Right? Our theme for today is personal and family healing. And you're like a great person to talk about this because you've been... Uh, Certified Reiki master since 1983. You worked like 25 years as an administrator of mental health and mental retardation services, was trained as a family therapist and art therapist, have a master's degree in in education. education. And you bring together the best of both worlds, both kind of healing from an energy and a Reiki perspective and a depth of experience in mental health systems. And you've also worked with a lot of in the physical health world. You've worked a lot with allopathic medical students and physicians in Philadelphia. And right now you're working with the oncology staff at Bay Health. And you've organized multiple Reiki treats in your experience of a Reiki practitioner. And you're like a phenomenal Reiki teacher. That's how I know you. So Yvonne, welcome. On the show, Goal of Collective Power is really to build our understanding of systems and our capacity and ability to see opportunities in the face of the barriers that systems often present, right? Systems present restraints, whether they are legal restraints like state, federal, local. Systems are a set of rules and regulations and things that kind of are the restraints that we navigate in everyday life. And every area of life has some system connected to it, Mm -hmm. right? And the reason why collective power is called collective power is because in the face of those restraints, we often get disempowered. But what's possible as human beings is if we put our brains together and go from two brains are better than one, a hundred brains are better than one, we can actually find a way to bring forth healing and transformation, no matter how tight the restraint is. And so that's going to be the theme over all of the series. And I wanted to, I invited you today, Yvonne, because I think the concept of healing is kind of like this bottom line, and different people define healing in different ways. And so we're going to talk a little bit about definitions of personal healing and how it relates to family healing. But before we go there, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I gave you like the like <laughs> professional academic bio version of Yvonne. Um, and just tell us a little bit more about yourself and why healing is important to you. 
Thanks. First of all, Rita, thank you for inviting me to your Collective Power radio show. Telling you a little bit about myself, let me start out. We're talking about systems, and I started out as the fourth child in my family system. And from the perspective of the fourth and last child, I learned how to observe the behavior of my siblings with my parents. Hmm. Now, I have an older sister who's eight years older than I am. And since she and I were both females and we had two brothers, two male brothers, uh, I'd look to her to see what her behavior was with my parents. And I thought I could model that. Now, here's Hmm. the deal. When she called out to the parents because the brothers were annoying her or trying to fight with her or any of that, she would yell out to the parents, and the parents would come rushing in. They called the Praetorian guards, and they would drag the brothers off to the dungeon. And I thought, yay, that's what I'll do. Ha! The lesson every parent doesn't want the older child to teach the younger child, pretty much. Well, guess what? It didn't work. My parents, eight years difference between my sister and myself, so my parents had learned different things, too, in those eight years. So here's Yvonne calling out, as she remembered her sister did, to the parents, saying, you know, this one bothered me, that one's fighting me. And my mother would quietly yell up from the bowels of the kitchen where she spent most of her time, (laughs) settle it yourself. I'm like, what, what, what? (laughs) That's wrong script, Mom, wrong script. So that gave me pause. And I had to kind of stand back and say, what went wrong? I know what I heard. I know what I saw. Mm. And she's a woman, and ain't I a woman? And it took me a couple of weeks to kind of sift through that. Finally, what I decided was that I just couldn't count on my parents. <laughs> wow, that was a big lesson. How that, old were you when you like, decided oh, that? I was, gee, I probably was around seven. Mm-hmm. I remember having nightmares for about two weeks, ye- uh, yelling out in the middle of the sleep that my brother was bothering me. Mm-hmm. And my mother, never she never read any psychology books, so she never got up out of her bed. She simply yelled down the hall, Shut up and go back to sleep. <laughs> wow. That's an intense experience for a seven-year-old. Well, yes. And I've become an intensive woman probably <laughs> as a result. <laughs> so that's kind of the backdrop. I learned how to observe. I learned how to review my observations from a point of uh, personality. Mm. My sister and I have two different personalities. Probably my parents picked up on that. Mm-hmm. Also from the perspective of time or age, she's eight years older than I am. And what I eventually came to was that eight years made a big difference in the life of my mother. I was the fourth, actually I was the fifth child, but one of them died very young. So I was the last of four living children, and she had learned what worked for her. (laughs) And she probably observed me slightly differently from how she observed uh, my sister. But I think most of all, in those eight years, she had grown tired of being anxious and responding to every little, you know, whim and complaint. Mm. So smart lady. So she decided that... And was your sister the oldest? She was. 
Yeah, my mom always says if you only knew with the... Well, she says second because my mom only had two. But if you only knew with the first child what you learned with the second. That's it? Yeah. So that was my early training. And uh, I have looked at the world through that experience ever since. So as you can imagine, having those nightmares and trying to understand what was wrong with me that I didn't get the answer that I was looking for, um, I started looking deeper at relationships, at people, at myself. Mm -hmm. So it's not a surprise that I ended up in the mental health system uh, as an administrator, sometimes as a therapist. And uh, so there's there's been a lot of uh, backstory to this. So help me understand, like the, my original question was, you know, tell us a little bit more about yourself and why healing is important to you. So tell me a little bit about why you chose that story to illustrate. I got the systems part. Tell me a little bit more about why you chose that story to talk to us about healing. Uh, healing, I know there's a lot of different definitions of healing. My definition is as follows. I see healing as a process. Uh, it reveals to me, if we're looking at healing in terms of human behavior, human beings, uh, healing reveals to me the body's ability to repair and to restore its natural balance. Mm. So it's a question of balance. And, um, you know, how do we get there? A whole myriad of ways, obviously. Um, and I guess that really has brought me to Reiki because I see Reiki as a system of balancing. So just thinking about the listeners out there and, you know, what my thinking would be talking about balance before that day that I showed up at your doorstep and you started <laughs> and I checked you out to find out if you were the Reiki teacher who was cool enough to teach me, right? I think for most listeners, when we think about balance, you know, we see uh, the kind of Zen person who can spend an hour, an hour and a half in meditation, who goes on like 10 day meditation, silent retreats. And I think balance conjures up for a lot of us actually paradoxically, right? A sense of lack because we think about all the balance we don't have. And then we start measuring us by all these moments of peace and quiet that we have not created in our lives. So I'm curious, like, are you one of those people like an hour and a half in meditation and like 10 day silent retreats? Like Absolutely not. <laughs> In fact, it took me a long time to understand that, yes, really, I did do meditation, but not in the classical sense. I did meditation in the sense that I would go find a quiet corner and sit and reflect and sort of let go of what was going on in my life at that moment. So, no, I'm not that kind of person. So tell us a little bit more what balance means to you. Like, help me understand how you see balance. I think of, I think of balance as the ability for people to understand that they participate in this expanse of life experience that we're all participating in. And the key word there is participate, mm -hmm. that we all have a participation. So back as that seven-year-old child who wondered, you know, what went wrong, et cetera, et cetera. There is a participation on both parts, which can create balance or imbalance. 
And if we can learn to look at life through our own participation in it, not just those others who are out there, I think we begin to understand this concept of balance and the power of the ability to participate in significant and specific ways. We participate in our own health to get back to healing. Uh, There's many people I know who have in the past, they'll go to the doctor or the health practitioner and say, you know, I got this, that and the other. Can you fix me? Mm. (laughs) And that kind of was an old model that we're moving out of now, I think, hopefully. My feeling is always that each person carries their own story and that here again, talking about balance, the interaction between the patient, quote unquote, and the health practitioner um, is a challenge to balance. Mm. If the patient is coming in and saying, you know, I got this, I got that, and want you to fix me, something's out of balance. And on the other hand, if the patient comes in and says, these are the things that are going on with me, I have done X, Y, and Z, I need your help to help me understand um, ABC, something yeah. like that. So I just want to like lift off one of the things that you said that I thought was really uh, new even for me. Um, so what I hear you say is that part of what balance is, is recognizing our participation in our life experience. So it sounds like part of balance is giving to each their rightful place, right? So, and, and that just, that's so alive for me right now. Cause I think about like my journey of healing, right. Mm-hmm. And I would mm-hmm. go back and forth between I'm responsible from the world And I feel completely crappy about myself because I can never be good enough. And you're completely wrong. And I'm not going to look at myself ever. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, I think part of my healing journey, if I think about who I was when I showed up at your doorstep going on 20 years ago, right, 15 years ago, I think about a person who was really fluctuating between those extremes of like, you know, it's all on me or it's all on you. And nothing in between. Mm -hmm. And so what you say really resonates for me because I can definitely see in my own healing journey that that's been the process. It's Mm -hmm. like recognizing that like to each their own, right? So there's a part of us that feels victim in the face of, you know, our parents not coming to save us the way we want to be saved. How dare they? Right. And there's also a part to their own learning and their own journey and their own balance and that somehow life becomes this mosaic of somehow it all fits together and it doesn't all at the same time. Yes, yes. You touched on something I think you mentioned earlier, something about barriers and restraints. And I think the understanding or lack of understanding of one's participation, including the belief system, can either create barrier or restraint in life or help to facilitate balance. You know, how we think about ourselves, how we think about the relationship of ourselves to our world, uh, how much do we feel that we can control and can not control, and what do we offer to the situation. So the thinking, the belief that we have play a very strong role. I think it was Tom Kenyon, uh, one of the gurus out here now, who said, what you believe to be true, you will, what you believe to be true, you will find to be true 100% of the time. 
<laughs> so, you know, you, we have our belief systems and usually conflicts are the result of differences in belief systems. <laughs> mm-hmm. So here again, that creates a barrier or restraint to whatever we're trying to have a flow in. So we talked a lot about what we've said is like heavily connected, or at least the examples we've we've used have been connected to kind of emotional healing. I know that one of the things you mentioned and you're also really passionate about is this the body's capacity to restore balance. So can you speak a little bit to that? Okay, let me take it from this point. I did a practice at Hahnemann uh, Hospital as a student and what I observed while I was there was a floor, I forget the, the number of the floor, but it was a floor where they were like inpatients. I remember seeing some of the staff moving over to the side of the room where there was a man-made cubicle glass and out of which they observed the patients who were sitting around this very large room. I was there as a student, so I was there to learn, and I was, like, fascinated. Never seen anything quite like this. Looked like Star Trek with the staff behind the glass cubicle and all these other folks out there. So I had noticed a woman sitting in a chair there, and I was curious about the woman. For some reason, she had attracted my attention. And I asked one of the staff, I said, can you tell me about that woman? And the staff person said, oh, she doesn't talk to people. So I said, you know, I think I want to go over there and and check her out. So I went over there and I sat down and I didn't say anything right away. We sat in silence for like a couple minutes. And then I said something to her and she turned around and spoke to me just like any ordinary person would. And I was flabbergasted. And I went back and, of course, told the health professionals there what had occurred. And they were kind of in disbelief. (laughs) So here's where the belief, they saw that woman in one way Mm -hmm. and had put her in that box. And nothing in their experience had relieved her from the box they had put her in. So that created, in my mind, a barrier to her healing in their system. Mm -hmm. or any other system for that matter. As long as their perceptions were that she could not communicate, they did not see the wholeness, the totality of this woman who was there for healing. Okay, I think, you know, I'm sort of talking about belief systems in terms of of healing and how the body can really heal itself in many ways. Sometimes we just don't understand the healing process. I often think as I read articles about the medical and health history that we know now that brain surgery occurred thousands of years ago. We know by the skeletal, uh, the skulls, that were discovered, uh, the marks and all from the tools that were used during brain surgery back then, come to the conclusion almost that there isn't that much that is really new. So we have to remember. And I use that concept of remembering in many, many ways. We have to remember who we are. We have to remember uh, what our abilities are. And so the body, even medical professionals sometimes feel like nothing is better than something because the body has an inbuilt system to take over and to ameliorate the condition. Mm. So, you know, that's one way of looking at it. Okay, so on on the body part, you're saying the body has natural systems 
that are designed to bring back balance. Mm -hmm. Could you give me an example of that? Well, certainly muscles, tendons. I'll give you an example. You have a cut. You cut your finger. Well, does it stay cut forever? No. The system in the body starts sending signals and elements to that cut, and healing begins to take place. Now, did somebody on the outside do that? No. The body did that. Mm -hmm. If we break a bone, does the doctor or the health professional do? Usually they tend to immobilize it first so that healing takes place. The doctor doesn't make it heal. Mm. The body is doing that. So there's two examples of the body healing itself. I'm just thinking about how we've lost trust in the body's ability to heal itself. Like, as soon as you said it, I went, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, I don't actually take the aspirin to to heal, right? I take the aspirin to stop feeling the pain while the body heals, but the body is actually the one that does the healing, right? Right, exactly. So can you think about, well, first of all, just wanting to go down that windy road for a minute, like, what do you think has us have lost trust of the body's own ability to heal? Like, why are we losing trust in our own bodies? We carry them around every day. Yes, we do. (laughs) Some uh, more easily than others. (laughs) Um, I think in our efforts as a group of people to progress, we don't always go in the best direction. And so what do I mean by that? Sometimes it takes trial and error to get to balance, to get to the best effect that we are looking for. And I think that, you know, the role of, of health professionals has has changed over time and is still in the process of change. We have been led to believe, just as we've been led to believe about what we should eat and what we should not eat, you know, butter was bad for us, now it's better than margarine. We have been taught to believe in the past that the doctor was like God. Mm. And we just go and ask God, you know, what to do. And God would speak. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of that approach. More recently, we're being encouraged to look at our own roles in this. And we're more encouraged to use the health professionals as partners. So, yes, we do have a role. We don't just go to God and say, hey, fix me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then here's here's that theme I keep coming back to. You know, what is our responsibility and what's our ability to use that responsibility to gain for us what it is we want, whether that's healing or something that's ameliorated through that process. Again, I think it's the belief system. It depends on what we believe, how we believe it, or what we do about what we believe. And I guess I go back to the little seven-year-old who's watching and observing the behaviors. I think that's what we have to do. We have to observe our bodies and see what works. Mm. We have to observe and interact with our health professionals and find out what feels good to us. Yeah. And we also have to educate ourselves about our bodies and about who we are. And I love what you said about that's a process of trial and error, right? It's not linear. So one of the things I'm really adamant about is highlighting that because we, in our overly simplified perspective on healing, we often want to assume that healing is a linear process. And especially if you think about things like recovery, 
right? If you think about, and recovery in many different fashions, right? If you can think of like recovery from addiction, from trauma, from, but it could also be recovery for knee replacement, right? Healing does not happen in a linear fashion. And we get really frustrated with people when they relapse or when they do the thing the doctor told them not to do. Well, how the hell do I find out if my knee's better if I don't stretch a little bit, right? Like, Mm -hmm. there's always going to be that day when you start feeling better and you do a little bit more, Mm -hmm. right? And and that's part of the trial Mm -hmm. and error. Exactly. And and relapsing, like a lot of people in recovery talk about how relapsing is an integral part of the process, right? And so just yesterday, I was talking with a dear friend of mine who manages a sober house in Minnesota, and there was someone who had a relapse, and she was really really adamant about, okay, how do we not create silence around this? Because the silence is going to create the shame. How do we talk about it in a way that there is no need for silence because relapse is part of the journey and it's not something that we have to hide as kind of the bad moment in a linear healing process. Like Healing is not linear. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing that... um, so this is a great moment to bring in systems. Like I often use this systems as a um, chart of concentric circles. So I drew something here and I'll (laughs) show it to you. So it's sort of like there's the person and they're Mm -hmm. fractals for those of you who have like read emergent strategy, right? It's a fractal relationship between the person, the family system, the medical system. And then the medical system of course is embedded in this bigger system of like politics and funding and, Right. And so each one of those concentric circles has its own process of trial and error. So the complexity, like there are no easy solutions here. Right. That's what I love about what you're saying in terms of us learning how our own body works. Like there's a there's a journey of learning and trial and error in terms of how our personal bodies work. But Mm -hmm. then our families are going through their own trial and error process. Right. So as your mother was learning to not be as reactive, you were learning how to not be as reactive. And so then that is that learning. And then the medical system is on its own journey and god we know you know like 30 years ago people were trying to cure seizures seizures by putting people in like they were doing something called malaria therapy like putting people through outrageous fevers forcefully Mm -hmm. thinking that that was going to cure mental mental illness like lobotomies were a real solution at some point in time right Mm -hmm. so the medical field is having its own system of trial and errors and of discovery and so are our uh, our systems as a whole, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. like in the United States, single-payer health care is still like a little bit of a dream that many of us want to see come true. <laughs> and in Italy, where it's been so for like 70 years at least, mm. you know, we're in the learning about, okay, what are the limitations there and how do we improve that? So whichever, like all these, there are multi-layered systems that are impacting our own trial and errors, impact all the rest, which is why you're saying we have to go to the doctor and also say to the doctor, like, no, when we interact with a doctor, what works for us and doesn't work for us. Yes, I think also what you're saying about what works for us, the trial and error part of of our challenge. There has been throughout Western civilization the concept that one size fits all. Yeah. Our school systems have been built on that. The health system has certainly been built on that. And, you know, I don't want to malign our doctors. I think they have been maligned sufficiently and there's some excellent ones out there. Dis- the distribution of medications is really based on trial and error for that particular person. 
because the doctors know that each person does not respond exactly the same to the same medication. So they'll try a different one, and they keep trying until, quote, one works. Now, what one works means may be different to different people. But, you know, there you go. And what you're saying, uh, Rita, is that we can generally take the responsibility for looking at how we can do a part of this ourselves. We can participate. And I think that's the key piece that's missing in the healthcare. What is the patient's participation? What is the patient's responsibility? And what are the barriers to that? So, again, I'm going to put the onus on the patient. Got it. So we went a little conceptual around healing. So I'd like us to get a little bit more specific than move to systems and barriers. So could you give us, because I think for a lot of people, so we said healing is not linear. We said it's a system of trial and errors. We said it's created inside of the, you know, the context of, what other systems and other like in in this bigger context of fractals so that's kind of what we've said so far and the core concept is that healing is basically a restoring of balance be it emotional balance or physical could you give us a story like of your own healing or like an anecdote that kind of brings those pieces to life so we can actually see a progression in a real life experience okay why don't i mention a knee replacement i have had one of my knees replaced don't intend to get the other one replaced (laughs) but i had a very interesting experience that was good overall i had noticed something amiss in my knee probably about 30 some years before i had the knee replacement. I didn't know what it was. I just felt, you know, what's wrong with this part of my body that's not responding the way I wanted to? And sometimes I would just force myself to dance even harder on that particular (laughs) knee. It's like, come on, knee, let's get going. But something that I haven't mentioned yet is that during this time, I had discovered and was practicing Reiki. And Reiki is a very old system of healing that's based on balance. So what I started to do, and and Reiki, by the way, the quick short version of it is really using consciousness to assist us in the healing process. You know, how does that work? All right, so this knee that was troubling me, I would place my hands on the knee and The Reiki energy comes through. We all, just as a backdrop, we all have these energy fields around and within us, every living thing, the earth including. And the Reiki connects with that. And by the way, when we Reiki our bodies or someone else's, whatever we do on one side of the body, we do on the other. Why? Because we want to maintain or create balance. And I always think of balance like this pendulum that's swinging. Sometimes it swings real far to the right or to the left, and then it kind of comes back to that neutral point, and then again, it never stays static. It's always in flux. Mm -hmm. So we don't stay in balance. Wouldn't that be lovely for the rest of our Mm -hmm. lives? Mm -hmm. It's a process. We enter and exit and enter and exit like the pendulum flow. So back to the knee... I reiki the knee by putting, placing my hands around the knee. I engaged one of my friends to assist me with that. And we must have done that for about seven months. And the issues that I had went away. So I thought, oh, okay, that was nothing. 
And then about 10 years or so later, something else came up. But in the interim, nothing. Mm-hmm. did the same thing, and then about another 10, 15 years, so you're seeing these cycles yes. reoccurred. Of course, what you find out is that over time, the cartilage in the knee joint wears out, doesn't stay forever, mm-hmm. at least the way we practice our lives now. <laughs> so uh, there you have the bone on bone, and the bone is rubbing against bone rather than having the cushion that had been there before. Now, the interesting thing with my particular body is I never felt pain. And eventually, the reason I went for the knee replacement was that I started feeling like I was kind of listing to one side and feeling out of balance as I walked. So when I went to the doctor and we had the discussion, et cetera, he says, so are you ready for your knee replacement? And I said, well, no, don't you have something else? (laughs) And so we tried a few other things. And eventually I said, okay, I guess I'm ready. Now, what he found out, he, I think, eventually got that my body apparently heals well Mm. and that I have a high pain threshold. We'll say that. I never felt pain before during or after the knee replacement. And he had told me, I remember before we went into the operating room, he looked at me, he says, you're going to do very well. I said, really? Oh, and he just kind of shook his head. Oh, yeah, you're going to do very well. Now, I still don't know exactly what he meant, but I think as a doctor, he was sizing up the patient And looking at not just the body, but the personality of the person, of the patient in front of him. So that's kind of my story of my personal healing and my personal journey. I'm going to say that I took some responsibility for that knee myself. I didn't just sit there. Mm -hmm. I was doing some things. I was trying to reflect on what was going on in my body, uh, doing some research to find out, you know, what it looked like, etc., So I think that's a part of my journey in healing. Thank you for that. And I just want to add that there's a similar process when we have emotional healing. So I want to just think about an example that I can come up with of like parents were very litigious, you know, when I was growing up, like folks just fought all the time, like all the stereotypes of Southern Italians that we have were kind of true for my family. And it used to like make me sick to my stomach, right? It used to like create a tremendous amount of distress in me. Mm. And there's been a whole learning process that you've witnessed in just my, like me learning how to not enter the kitchen when the two of them are fighting and like recognizing I actually don't have to do anything, that they have their own system of restoring balance. I don't live with my parents. They're on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. And so, you know, they've figured out their own way as a couple who's been married, Lord almighty, 50 years. Shout out to my gorgeous parents. <laughs> like, you know, they've been fighting every day for 50 years. So they've figured something out about how to come back into balance. But as a child living through that, I used to think that I had to intervene and it was mine to intervene. Mm-hmm. And undoing that pattern of intervening when it's not needed 
has been 20 years of healing work for mm. me. And so I just want to like bring the analogy with your knee replacement, right? That, you know, you may work something out. Like I, I could have had like a Reiki session or an acupuncture session or like a particular fight that went particularly bad where I did intervene and then like felt the brunt of it for a month. And then I would learn something, make a decision about how I would handle the situation the next time. Right. And then it wouldn't show up for 10 years, just sort of the way you were saying. Right. And then something would happen and suddenly this thing would become alive again. And then in that moment, I get an opportunity again to practice what I learned. Maybe I still go in the kitchen. Maybe I wait 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> but, you know, eventually there's new behavior. Right. Because but it you takes did cycles, learn. Mm-hmm. But it takes cycles of learning. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about what you used in the, the knee analogy. Mm-hmm. Right. It takes cycles of learning for us to come to a new place. And so healing is that overarching process of cycles of learning, like all these learning loops, Mm -hmm. which include setbacks, Mm -hmm. right? So healing includes setbacks. Just really, really care about that. I just want to interject something in terms of healing too, is that pain and anxiety interfere with the healing process. Pain, because all of our focus begins to move towards the effect of the pain on us Mm. takes away from our ability to allow the body to heal. Anxiety, same thing. We are so focused on fear uh, in our anxiety that we don't have that energy available for the healing process. So it's very important to deal with pain and anxiety, whether it's emotional pain, whether it's physical pain. Uh, whether it's anxiety from emotions or anxiety from something physical. Those two factors are very important in the healing process. And the thing that I've found out is that the research is showing that the Reiki I mentioned before reduces both pain and anxiety. Beautiful. So one can actually focus on the healing process instead of getting distracted by the immediate reaction. I love that. So I'm going to shift gears for a second. Having worked in, so having the understanding of healing that you have mm-hmm. and having worked in the health systems, like how have the health systems that we current operate in, like how have they been a barrier to the kind of healing that we're talking about? Well, I think I sort of mentioned that earlier when I talked about my experience at the hospital Uh, with a woman who was sitting off to the side whom the staff assumed could not communicate and finding out that she could. So the barrier is a belief. And I think belief is the largest barrier to healing. So what beliefs are you do you have you seen undermine healing in our in our medical systems? The belief that the patient is unable to do X, Y, or Z. The belief that the patient is A and then put a label on them and then you're done because, you know, the label takes care of everything. diagnoses are final. Mm -hmm. The belief that a diagnosis is final. Like it's this today, therefore it will be this way forever. Exactly. Uh, The belief that uh, one size fits all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those beliefs are apparent in our civilization today. And we're so used to many of them, we don't even recognize them as our beliefs. Mm -hmm. But when we step back and take a look at it from a distance, we get a different perspective. 
And what we're finding, certainly there are many excellent doctors who have learned this quite a while ago and respond, you know, favorably in kind. But it's not just the doctors who have to understand this. It's the patients who have to understand this as well. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about, so what are the beliefs around mental health? That restrain healing, like specifically mental health. It, it's the same thing. Same thing. It's the belief. You know, how do we define someone in the mental health system? For a long time, there's been so much fear and anxiety that civilization has had around mental health. Uh, we call it a disease. And mental health is still an imbalance in the system. Mm-hmm just as any of those physical things are imbalances Mm -hmm. in the system. I love that. And um, one of the things I'm really passionate about is that in African healing systems, right, mental health was actually not seen as a disease. It was seen as a gift, right? So I'm thinking about Mali Domasome and the Dagara culture and frameworks. In those frameworks, people were what we would call mentally ill today because they were walking between two worlds, they were working in, walking in the physical world and they were walking in the ancestor world at the same time because ancestors had a message for them to deliver to the world. And so shamans of ancient, right, would be the, what we now call psychologists, but because they weren't trying to fix your brain, which is not what psychologists do, but they were trying to like listen to your story, which is similar to what psychologists do, but they were listening for the purpose to discover what message you had from the ancestor world for this world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Maladoma Somme. It's one of my favorite uh, stories uh, in this book you referenced to Walking Between Two Worlds. Uh, There was a story whereby he was working at a hospital here in the States and there was a patient there that the hospital felt they couldn't do anything with or could do no more and referred him to Maladoma Somme. Maladoma Somme approached him with, just as you explained, his approach, and the man got better. He took the man to Africa. And while the man was in Africa, in whatever village, I don't remember exactly where the geographic spot was, but the man got much, much better. Now, here's the key. This was a European white male from America uh-huh. uh, who had accompanied this black African doctor over to Africa yep. and lived among black Africans there in Africa for this period of time. And he really didn't want to go back because he felt so good. Mm-hmm. The anxiety and fear had left. Mm. So he did decide to go back because he wanted to become, uh, I think he wanted to become a doctor of some kind or to certainly go through higher education, which he did. But he returned to Africa to live the rest of his life. So what does that tell you about the participation of civilizations, which are based on what? Beliefs, Mm -hmm. belief systems. So, you know, a good doctor will look at all of this. A good doctor will not just look at your body, not just give you tests, not just give you a physical examination, but the good doctor, just as Maladoma so may, will look at you to know what the story the ancestors want to pass on or who you really are. And do you know who you really are? And if you don't, 
how can we help you to find out who you really are? Mm-hmm. It's an entirely different approach. Yeah. Hmm. There's so many places where I'd like to take this conversation and like we're at the point of like starting to wind down. Well, is there anything else you want to add like so far in terms of where we've gone in terms of like healing or systems or personal experience? Yeah, I've just uh, you had mentioned that I am working in the oncology department now at the brand new Bay Health Hospital in Milford, Delaware. I love the work there, um, love the patients. And what I've seen when I first went over and introduced myself to the patients, I give them usually two handouts, a handout that describes who I am, and the other handout describes what I do, which is Reiki. And then I give them a quick little, you know, 50-cent definition of what I'm about to do. I usually give them about a 20, no, 30-minute session. Uh, I never felt that 15 minutes was enough. And um, so I'll go and I'll make the offer to these new patients. And here's what I've found. Patients usually fall into, not limited to three categories, but let's just say roughly three categories, well, maybe four categories. Those after I've given them the um, advertisement for the Reiki treatment will say, sure, you know, what have I got to lose? Then you have a group who will say, look at me very strangely and say, no, thank you. And another category will say there's like three sections of those who will say, no, thank you. The ones who look at you and think that you may be up to witchcraft or something else like that. Another group who, because of their belief, religious or otherwise, say no. And then the third group who feel like they've had all these things done to them already. They don't want another thing. Now, here's the thing. I said, that's fine. That's your choice. I'm here on Tuesdays. Do you mind if I come by and say, how you doing? How was your weekend, et cetera? Hmm, They said, no, no, no problem. So here's what happened. A couple of the naysayers turned around one day and said, all right, And then after I gave them the Reiki treatment and they zonked out to another world of their choosing and sleep, they woke up and they said, oh, my God, if only I had known. Mm. (laughs) So I kind of laugh at that. But look at the different choices. And that's what we're talking about. Choice based on your current belief. Yeah. Whether you allow something in, you keep it out. And then you may do that today and tomorrow you may change your mind and be open. Mm -hmm. And so much of self-care, right, is that, is making those choices on a day-to-day basis and tuning in to, okay, what is it that's needed right now, right? Just yesterday I was talking with someone who was talking about the anxiety who puts self-care first in her life and, but there's so much anxiety that's generated because the pressure from the outside world is work more, that's better, right? Versus take care of self-care. And I know like in all the work that I do, I always tell people like self-care first, like do that first. And part of that is making those moment to moment choices. Yeah, we've kind of grown up with this concept of selfishness and self-care sometimes is getting thrown into that category of selfishness. And uh, we have to learn the difference. Beautiful. So I know you're organizing, well, you do a lot of things like um, 
um, working with the oncology department, but I know you're organizing a Reiki retreat. Um, in Italy, if I'm correct. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Yes, I'm so excited about that. Um, actually, one of my goals and missions when I first started with Reiki was to expand Reiki as far and wide as possible. And I've tried to have done that in the Philadelphia and the Delaware Valley area, now down in Delaware, and the idea of going to another country and trying to uh, observe and absorb uh, the mores and customs of this other country and to offer what I feel Reiki can, can, can give them. So, yes, it's, this is the first time to explore something like this. This is a retreat. It will offer classes in Reiki. It will offer sound healing it will offer opportunities for trips, side trips, etc. And it will offer the company of sort of like-minded folk having a, an experience, a collective experience uh, together. So very excited about it. It's a way of exploring healing again, uh, getting questions and uh, observations from the participants. So yes, it's exciting to me. Beautiful. And it's um, on an island off the coast of Italy. It's yes, Ischia, it is. Right? Yes, um, right off of Naples. Right, beautiful. And so we'll have a we'll have a flyer of the Reiki retreat and a uh, list of some of the resources that we've mentioned, like Momodo Masome and Africans in Science, which was the uh, quote for um, ancient folks doing brain surgery, right? Like we'll, we'll put some of those resources on our website, which is collectivepowerpodcast.com. Well, very good. Um, Yvonne, thank you so much for your generosity today, like for bringing your knowledge. It's been really wonderful having you. Thank you all for your participation in today's show. Thank you for listening. We're talking about healing all month. So next week, the focus will be racial healing. And our uh, guest is Quanita Roberson, who's a person I know who does a lot of racial healing and collective circle work. So I'm excited to have Quanita as our guest next week. Thank you for listening. And see you next week, 8 a.m. listening to another episode of Collective Power. If you're interested in supporting our work by either being a guest on our show, recommending a guest on our show, writing for our upcoming medium publication, or donating to our work, look us up on our website, www.collectivepowermedia.com. Thank you for your courage to see the bigger picture. Until next week, drop the mic.